the Desert Dirt Biker with Corn Dog and Eric. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast. It is episode 23, October 6, 2020. I am Corn Dog, co-host with my good buddy Eric. Hey, hey, what's how, up? How you doing, Eric? Good. Doing great. Anyways, we are again doing our show from Caliente, Nevada, in my front yard. And holy crow, do we have some legends stopping by. Wait till you hear. Who do we got, Eric? Well, uh, tonight we're graced with the presence of Scott Harden, Jack Johnson, and Rodney Smith. Wow. All Hall of Famers and multi-time champions in off-road and off-road, AMA, motocross uh gncc moran dakar mint best in the desert baja i mean these guys have won about any race you can think of i cannot wait to hear this story so yeah looking forward to it this is gonna be a good time right um so they are here setting up for the nevada 200 trail ride the 36th annual here in caliani so uh, we been kind of bugging them a little bit, not bad, and we said, "Hey, what an opportunity!" And Scott said, "Well, let's do a show with Scott and Jack together." Well, they had a friend of theirs, Rodney Smith, which is now the uh, team beta manager, and yep, yep. he said, "Well, we're going to bring we're going to bring Rodney with us to sit down with you guys." So they'll be here in a little bit. We're doing our intro getting things ready getting the show rolling and uh we'll take a break here in a minute and get those guys set up get them on mic and uh and the stories so like i said yeah so like i said we're in caliani you might hear a train going by you might hear somebody on a lawnmower you might hear a car whatever we're outside around the campfire (laughs) enjoying the evening yeah it's nice nice october evening beautiful anyways on that note um find us on KD Eric, which is our Facebook handle. Go to Instagram, the Desert Dirt Biker, or throw us an email, the Desert Dirt Biker at gmail.com. Yeah, if you like the show, share it with your friends, tell your friends about it. Um keep this thing going. And stick around, we'll do our tip of the show, we'll do our race date segment. And from there on, uh, it's our show. See where it goes, huh? <laughs> we want to thank all our listeners. Like I think we said last time, we were we've now been listening in eleven countries, almost thirty five hundred plays, or right at thirty yeah. five hundred plays yep. listens. So I'm blown away what we've started documenting history. It's been fun for sure, and uh, hope you guys are, you know, I think you guys are enjoying it, and. Um, you know, we'll just try and keep keep bringing good content and bringing good guests on, trying to continue to capture the history of off-road racing and off-road motorcycles and yeah, dirt bikes and all that. Hey, on that note, before we take a break and go get those guys, we had our event this last weekend. Our last episode 22 was about our ground shakers. Yeah, so let's hit on that real quick. Um, man, what a, what a good race. We, yeah, it was... It was almost flawless. You know, there's like 
Jeff told us last time, there's always something that happens. Right. I know we had a couple lost riders, uh, just unfortunate. Uh, we had an injury or two, nothing serious, nothing major. So we're sending out good vibes to those guys, heal up safe. Yep. Uh, 144 entries or so. 144 entries. We, just, we really want to thank everybody that came out to support the ground shakers and our race. Um, you know, we can't do it without you guys as racers coming. And uh, we're really glad that you came and hope you enjoyed our our race. We had, what, several water crossings. Um, yeah. We had lots of sand washes and good flowy stuff. We got into some technical rocky sections and and a lot of rock actually but i don't know i heard a lot of good things a lot of a lot of good response so hopefully yeah i haven't heard no it. negative so uh escorted each each race to the start line i was i got to ride in the back of the fire truck and the, the racers followed me we had uh the legend dave pearson running our water truck <clears throat> yeah uh watered the start for us in a couple places in town we did race in town a uh, little bit of blacktop racing. Yep, I got to give a shout out to our uh, sweepers. I Eric I, was a sweeper I, boss. Yep, I swept, and so um, we had four other guys that were sweeping with us. And man, those guys got to work out. I'll tell you what, they put in some miles. Yeah, and, by uh, far. Troopers, man, they did an excellent job. Went off without a hitch, you know, no problems, and. Uh, so appreciate them and all the other club members that put it together and was was here to support us and and make it happen so good job ground shakers yeah it was good even from our 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 hired help or whatever the medical crew was phenomenal yeah went out. dave's awesome his crew those guys always do an amazing job so thank thanks dave and and uh motorsports motorsports safety solutions mm -hmm. thank you guys uh the town the the volunteers we had I, I i mean i'm almost overwhelmed with how positive how great it was when we got to race through town i mean now in 2020 who can say that they're racing through town you know through on the streets around the park through the through the creek that runs through the middle of town i mean this race was it, it's epic it's caliente yeah. It's a hub for off-road riding. There's trails in any direction. You can hop on a trail and end up, you know, riding more trails than you can handle. So, I mean, it's it's amazing area where we live and we call home. Yeah. What a but, uh, good what stuff. a thing that Casey started in, in the Nevada <clears throat> desert. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Casey. Yeah, none of us would, I don't think, you know, I mean... I don't yeah. know that we truly understand the greatness of all that he did to, to pioneer all this, you know, and put yeah. it um, to make off-road racing into what it is today. And I'm, I'm sure there were others, you know, that helped along the way and had great ideas and, and that. But grateful to the pioneers of off-road for creating the amazing sport that we call off-road racing today. Yeah. So get out on a bike, get out on a race, live life, throw yep. that leg over that bike. Get, I mean, I always say uh, you only die once. You got to live every day. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Get out it, and ride. Yeah. Well, Eric, you want to throw in anything else before we go get these guys and sit them down? No, let's get, let's get uh, the three 
legends. Man, I can't wait. On the on the mic, man. This is going to be good. So. I'm going to be like a giddy little girl. I'm probably going to have butterflies and, <laughs> and goosebumps. Corn Dog's been and... talking about this for a couple of weeks now. And right. He's pretty stoked. So. Right. So, right. Uh, so am I. This is going to be good. Yeah. I don't know. And, and this is great. We're documenting history. I don't know that people know the story behind some of this stuff. So. Yeah. Well, I know I'm going to learn some things about each of these riders and each of these you know, guys that is getting, is coming on and um, looking forward to it. Right. All right, on that note, let's take a little break, maybe throw in a commercial, pay some bills, and we'll sit these guys down, get them on mic, and stay tuned for, for the legends. Bringing it at you. All right, we're back, and as promised, we grabbed these famous guys <laughs> uh, to sit down with us. They, they're out here marking the uh, Nevada 200. And they're here, so they're parked right down the way from my yard here in Caliani. So we grabbed them, sitting them down in my yard. So we are, we have Scott Harden, Jack Johnson, and Rodney Smith. How are you guys doing? Doing good. good. Absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. Yeah, welcome to the show. So we kind of know who you are. Um, I got goosebumps, and my belly's all in butterflies because you guys are sitting in my yard. And uh, I know I've worked with you guys couple years ago with the the trail ride but uh i guess uh let's start out tell us who you are who wants to go first scott harden you're on deck buddy all right yeah my name's scott harden and uh i'm 64 years old uh lifelong motorcycle enthusiast off-road racer uh, corporate executive in the uh, motorcycle world uh nevada native grew up in las vegas born and raised uh, grew up through the local Moran Racing Association. Uh, was the first rider to win number one plates in the 125, 250, and open class. Uh, moved on to larger, bigger races, Bajas, and in 400s, Las Vegas 400s. Uh, eventually, my career took me to six days and represented the United States and, uh, and ultimately to world rallies uh, to do Dakar. And uh, with the goal of winning a car at one point in my career. I was the first American to win a marathon raid rally in North Africa and Tunisia in 87. Right. Couldn't land the, the right sponsorship to do Dakar to win it. Uh, but uh, ironically, I got a shot at it 20 years later to go do it, to train young Americans to win it, Chris Blaze and Kellen Walsh, uh, and to form a team that, of Americans that would eventually go on to have success at Dakar. And uh, I went and rode then. I was 50 the last year I did it and finished uh, the longest Dakar. Not the longest Dakar. One of the longest Dakars ever. Uh, hmm. The 2005 event that went uh, some 11,000 kilometers uh, in Africa, North Africa. Wow. Yeah, very impressive um, resume that Scott has. I know, when was your last professional race? Well, I raced professionally from 73 to 2007, so for 40 years long. Yeah, that's super impressive. And I um, made it through all that. Without, I had a lot of broken bones and injuries, but nothing ser super serious or life-threatening or anything like that. And I have plenty of friends who are in wheelchairs or dead. Mm -hmm. Rally racing, I have a lot of friends who are dead from that. So... Uh, my mechanic, Elmer Simmons, when I finished in 2005, went back two years later and died at the event. Mm -hmm. uh, 
know countless others that are Richard Saint, Fabrizio Vioni, and Andrew Calvade, Cavandole, and I mean, just there's a long list of guys that die doing that. Right. Part of the game. And I think we all know once we throw that leg over that seat, we all take that chance. Well, you do, but until you get on a rally bike and you race across terrain you never seen before in a 500 pound motorcycle at 100 miles an hour. Not marked. Not You're marked. Going off a road book. Going off a road book, and you do it for 14 hours a day for yeah, 18 days. Yeah. It's a little bit different than throwing your leg over a bike and going right. for. We can ride. Yeah, you might see as many near-death experiences in one day day as most people see, see in a, a lifetime. lifetime. Right. I mean, it's like doing the Baja have, 500 back-to-back-to-back to back to back for 14 days. Wow. Yeah, I can't even imagine. It's all <laughs> So um, we had Kellen and Chris Blaze both on the show. They both talked about their experience a little bit. Do you want to elaborate on kind of how you put that team together, how those guys were selected, and uh, – I guess what your role was at that time. Well, I was the team manager and general manager of the program for KTM at the time in Red Bull. And they asked me to, the year before we put together a team of veterans with uh, Larry Rossler and Paul Krause. I rode on the team, it was a last minute uh, replacement for a rider that got hurt, broke his leg during the uh, photo shoot in Dues, Tunisia. and had to rode at the last minute. Uh, I, I rode, got us up as high as sixth overall before I broke my ankle after the mid, just before the midway point. The following year, we decided that we wanted a younger team. We wanted to develop young talent. We had a talent search. I provided the best riders that I could find that weren't under contract and that were in the right place that they could do it. You know, the Johnny Campbells and Ty Davises of the world at that time were under contract to their companies. Mm-hmm. So I had to find riders that I thought could step into their shoes just given the chance that had the right age the right makeup and we selected six guys and uh and among them were kevin and chris we had a three-day competition out in the mojave desert and then uh, the judging panel was myself jimmy lewis uh dan danny laporte and malcolm smith that made the final selection on the the, the other who the other two riders would be three of those had had raced the dakar had had Malcolm raced the car? He'd raced it in a buggy. Okay. He'd raced so it. So all four of the selectors had been down there and had, seen had, what it was had about. Had the car experience, so yeah. that was very important. And we wanted to, we tried to simulate it. Jimmy put together some special tests and for navigation, and we tried to do a lot of things like waking him up in the middle of the night when it had to sleep in tents, and they had to do everything. And we tried to simulate all the conditions, putting generators outside their tents all night long. Hmm. Uh, during the nights just to kind of rattle them and changing things at the last minute and only giving them partial information and a lot of things and Chris was clearly the 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 cream of the crop if you will in terms of his overall makeup his demeanor his his ability to just stay cool and calm under pressure striding skill very smooth and everything and uh, the other riders had challenges, and Kellen was kind of a wild card, to be honest. Hmm. He uh, came on uh, stronger as the event wore on, uh, showed a lot of gut and determination, and he was, there was something about Kellen that we all looked at that he said, you know, he just might be that wild card that uh, Chris was more the sure bet. Kellen was kind of like, who knows what he might do. So we ended up with those two. And we had a, a, a alternate replacement. Andy Greider was the mm. third rider that was selected. <clears throat> Very cool. 
Um, and we celebrated the. I I went over there. Rode with them as the third rider on the team. We they celebrated their birthdays in uh, Barcelona. Chris's and uh, Kellen's birthdays were both in Barcelona in January. And I <laughs> when I did the math, I realized that I was older than both of them combined. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you were the alternate. So did you get to go on the bike, or did they I do? Rode. Did I you? Rode. I I had to beg uh, KTM to give me another shot at it. The year before, I was forced onto it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to risk. I didn't want to sacrifice that much for that long uh, because I was 49 years old. They could, be, with the third rider injured just three weeks before the event, we couldn't find a replacement with all the visas and all the paperwork to go through all the countries. As a team manager, I already had that. Everybody looked at me and said, hey, why don't you ride? You always wanted to do this. I go, yeah, but I haven't trained. I haven't done anything. And so I had to make a long call from Tunisia and call my wife and talk it over. And scariest thing in the world, I put her to hell for two years right. with the car thing because she was sure that I was going to go and kill myself over there. Yeah. And uh, I was pretty sure of that too. We were honest, <laughs> so there was a good chance that was going to happen. How has the car changed over the years from when you first started racing down there to now? Well, the equipment's all different. They're riding 450s now. We were riding 660s, and there were even the, the twins were still racing then. The bikes now are much more manageable. They're more like big, heavy moto bikes. Uh, our bikes were... Uh, I carried 115 pounds of fuel on my bike. Wow. Uh, uh, so the difference between the bike at the start of a section, special test at the end, was night and day difference. 100 pounds different. And yeah. when you had to remember that, when you got after a refueling to just chill for a while till you burn the fuel down because it was a load. Uh, so there's that. You know, the races, Dakar is now 14 days or 11 days. Hmm. It's it's half the distance that we rode. Really? You know, the last Dakar I did was almost 7,000 miles long. <laughs> uh, now that they're around 4,000 miles. Wow. You know, they're, the special tests are a little bit more extreme, but it's all relative to what they're doing. So it just changed a lot. Some say the truth, the car died with them leaving the North African desert and those long, long marathon stages and everything. I think it's just evolved. Yeah, hmm. still something to be, you know, <clears throat> proud of. I mean, Ricky Brabeck, first American to win the overall Dakar. Yeah. Um, I think Jimmy Lewis helps Help lay out him. his, you know, training hmm. and stuff for him. Um, you know, and that was someone that you worked with and probably left. Well, I like to thank Jimmy Lewis, Danny Laporte, myself, all the guys that were the forerunners of all the Americans that came along later. We built, we showed them that it was possible for America to be competitive there. We laid the groundwork. More, we certainly made it more attractive for the sponsors over there to want to bring Americans to the event. You know, I would say Ricky's success is certainly all of his own, but it certainly wouldn't have happened without all the hard work of guys like Jimmy Lewis, Johnny Campbell, myself, Danny Laporte, uh, all the people that came before who laid the groundwork for all of that. Yeah, for and sure. And he, he had much as acknowledged that when I saw him at the party at Cameron's place. So he was, he's a good kid. He deserved it. Yeah, That's awesome. Very proud of him. Tell us, tell us the funniest or strangest thing that ever happened while you were at a Dakar race. I know it's a different world over there in a different country, but 
Tell us a story. <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus, it's so surreal. So, not in Dakar, but in Tunisia, 1987, the rally that I won, there was a marathon stage where everybody got lost, and only mm-hmm. three of us finished that day. Only three, everybody else spent the night in the desert, and actually three racers died because they went the wrong way and de- didn't have enough water and dehydrated three Oof. Dutch pilots. They found them two days later dead. But the two riders I was were, were both French, and we had finished a special test, but we still had 120 kilometers to go to get to the finish line, the liaison section into Zarzi on the coast. And we were riding at night, with, and only one bike had a working headlight, so the other two <laughs> rode off the other bike. And we rode through the desert and were navigating the best we could. Then we got to a blacktop road, we saw signs, then we got to an intersection, and I'm, my heart sunk. We got to the intersection, and it said Tripoli. 20 kilometers. Hmm. Tripoli's in Libya. <laughs> in 1987, in July of 1987, the U.S. had bombed Muammar Gaddafi's tent and killed his daughter, and he put out a fatwa on any American that they should be Oof. shot on sight. Wow. We had inadvertently crossed over into Libya. We're within 12 miles of downtown Tripoli Uh-oh. and had to navigate back <laughs> out of Libya quietly into Tunisia. <laughs> through border checkpoints with 16-year-old guards with Kalashnikovs and mirrored lenses and everything in the middle of the night searching us. Um, I stayed in the back. I let the other guys do the riding because they all speak French in North Africa. I let the other two riders. I said I was Spanish. <laughs> and we somehow got out of there. Uh. But for about two hours there, I was literally, I thought, I was going to be, you know, on the major news. Right for your life, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was down at the Tripoli. I was oh. probably the only American in Libya in 1987, October of 1987. <laughs> that wasn't a funny story, though. No, but it's different. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, there's a lot of That's crazy kind of things that happen over there. I saw the craziest things, stuff that'll make your heart sink, and then something about the humanity of people that just... When you're in a rally, you're in a cocoon. The whole world outside of it, it ceases to exist. There could be nuclear wars going on. You don't care because you're all banded together in this giant quest that's going across somewhere. You're right. all sharing meals and sleeping on the ground at night and talking over. You're all facing the same thing. I think it's a close to being in battle or war that you can get into without actually doing it. Right. And that sense of camaraderie really comes out. <clears throat> it's high. It, that's why it's, people do it is for that experience. Hmm. I, I kind of remember all that. I was in the military at that time, and it was it was crazy even for us. Yeah, yeah. So, 1987, October. Yeah. So let's go back to some of your Baja experience. Um, do you you remember your first win? In yeah, Baja? yeah. 77. Well, 76 Baja 500 with Jack was my first win down there. We won class 21 and got third overall, and uh, really. A, you know, I'd gone down there three times and never even seen the bike twice, never even got on it. So I had a lot of bad experience down there, my first three events. But my fourth one, we broke through at one. And then in 77 with uh, Brent Wallingsford, my first Baja 1000 overall. And it, again, some misfortune with these guys. These guys were leading. Jack and Larry were leading. And Larry had a bus, a mini bus, BW micro bus going into Mike's. And mm. was luckily didn't get hurt too bad, but the bike was destroyed and they were out of the event and we ended up winning that and that was special to win the Baja 1000 for the first time 
and uh, so those, you know, and then all the other score events and winning all those and Las Vegas 400s and all the other stuff that go along with that. Yeah, yeah. cool. <clears throat> well, going back, let's go way back to the, like the beginning for a second. So you said you started in Moran, you grew up in Vegas. Uh, how did you even get on a dirt bike? What, what brought you to that? Deer camp up north of here where we're already out, but Ely. A uh, guy brought a tote goat to deer camp, and once I saw that thing, I go, oh, it has a motor and a throttle, you could ride it, and I all I did was ride that. How old were you? Eleven. Eleven. And I talked my grandparents into buying me a mini bike. I got a Taco 22 mini bike after that, <laughs> and then I just progressed up until I got full-size dirt bike, which was a Suzuki 125 Duster. That was my first race bike. I snuck off to my first Moran race. Started doing really well, uh, moved up to the expert ranks, got a Penton, and then that's when I met Casey uh, Folks. was really what changed my life, was meeting him. He ended up moving it out into the valley down the road from me about a mile away. Mm. And so I was down to his house after work <laughs> every time I could go down there. I lived in his garage from 73 to, I don't know, 76. And that's when you guys were still in school or before? Oh, I was, yeah, I was in high school, you know, and then getting ready to go to college. So I met Casey through that, and that's what got me going. And being around Casey and, of course, seeing on it, the movie on any Sunday came out. Mm -hmm. When I saw that movie, and I saw what Malcolm did in the movie, I said, <clears throat> I want to do that. I want to do everything that Malcolm did. I want to <laughs> win the ball 1,000. I want to do six days. I want to do all these other events. And I did. I did. I got that's awesome. All that. And I got to do a lot of it with Malcolm. <clears throat> Later on in my life, was, we went, traveled all over the world together. We went to Africa together. We went to South America together. We Traveled a lot of places together. That is so uh, that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah, lifelong dream. Very cool. So I know we always talk about Casey. I, tell us a funny Casey story. We always oh, ask God. somebody. Jack? <laughs> How many you got to choose from? Yeah, I mean, Casey. I mean, there, he was one big Cuban caricature story, you know. Right. He was bigger than life, you know. He was... The Pied Piper, he just drew people to him like flies. There was something about him. You know, I, funny story about Casey. He would go to the Baja 1000 and the 500 for years and years and years. I never saw him drive his own vehicle down there. He always <laughs> had somebody else, a friend or some other guy, Mike Morris or somebody else that drove his truck and wrecked all their shit so Casey could go ride. He was a master get, getting other people <laughs> to do stuff for him and, and thinking it was their idea. He was the master at that. So, you know, I, you know, I was so richly rewarded for having him in my life. And I had, you know, as, as close a relationship as anybody had with that man, other than his children, of course, Daryl and Brian. But I actually lived in their house for, like mm -hmm. I said, for a long period of time. You know, that's why I look at Daryl and Brian as kind of like brothers. Or we, we grew up in that house under Casey's. Right. And we saw the Caseyisms and all the weird shit that he did and his anger and his terror. The first time I saw Casey, before I even knew there was such a thing as a Casey, I went out <laughs> to a Her European Scrambles over by the Mesa. He was riding a guy comes in to finish fourth in the 125 class. I, a big crowd gets around him, follows him over to his truck. He takes his helmet off. He looks weird as hell. He's got big ears, <laughs> red hair. And he puts on this Australian bush hat, and he just stood out like a sore thumb. And everybody was asking if he had the number one plate on the bike. And they go, God, Casey, you got smoke today. You got 40. Oh, fuck. That piece of shit bike. 
Well, he, normally he raced a Saks or a Penton, but he was just take it on the Suzuki dealership but he was going to prove how good the Suzuki like I was racing with a git git on it was <laughs> anyway he's fumbling around and he's trying to get the kickstand down it won't come down and all of a sudden you know he you just see him just shove the thing off <laughs> and it just goes out in the desert and falls down and a big crowd just everybody's like a bigger crowd comes around him now <laughs> so he goes over to pick it up and something happened and he pinched his hand and he went off the next thing i know he's literally kicking the gas tank metal gas tank off of the bike he's literally <laughs> kicking the gas tank off with his chippewas jumping up and down like caving it in a metal gas tank the bike's just getting thrashed and people are just nobody says a word there's Silence. 50 people around by now it's and they're just watching him go completely crazy and he does that for about three or four minutes and then he just stops and walks off and finally Ken Cameron went over to him and said hey if you don't like that bike I'll take it off your hands he goes 300 bucks it's yours or 400 bucks it's yours Ken goes I'll go get the money right now I'll be right back <laughs> that was it and that was the day that I knew there was a Casey Folks in this world that was my introduction to him and then of course I knew that he owns found out he owned Sportsman Cycle and then was down there buying bikes and parts from him and everything that's hilarious. Good stuff, yeah. Yeah, he had used. He was, he had a temper that would come out at times. <laughs> so after all this, you've been inducted into the AMA Hall of Fame. Yeah. Is that what it is? That's awesome. What year was that? Two thousand and eight, and the Trailblazers Hall of Fame this year. So that's cool. Into that and the Moran Hall of Fame. Jack and I were the, and Casey were the first three, and Max Schweitzer. Were the first four inductees into the Moran Hall of Fame. The the legend list or whatever they call it, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Well, um, that was an awesome story. Um, why don't we run over to or turn it over to Jack and get Jack's story. What do you think, J Mr. Jack Johnson? My story's not nearly as colorful as Scott's, as I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, we've heard some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm uh, Jack Johnson, born and raised in Southern California, between there and Las Vegas area. So, grew up racing a little bit in Southern California as well as here in Moran. Only uh, through my travels in the Moran stuff, only got one number one plate out here. So, I wasn't nearly as successful as Scott wasn't doing all that. But, hmm. but uh, yeah, I followed my dad into motorsports, and dad was a motorcycle guy. and actually started riding at eight years old on mom's motorcycle so mm. you know, took off from there and that was here in las vegas area what kind of bike what was that a tahatsu or? A, no the, the first bike i rode was a 98 cc ducati oh four stroke <laughs> wow and then uh first first bike with my own was a 50 cc yamaguchi which oh was kind of the forerunner to hodaka and which hodaka was a very pretty famous brand yeah but uh, you know just progressed through the years you know, involved a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, chasing my heroes. My hero growing up in Vegas area was Max Schweitzer, you know, and yep, so yep. just trying to chase Max and see if I could copy Max and do the different things Max did. And, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like Scott with Malcolm, you know, Max is a Baja veteran and, you know, you wanted to do that kind of stuff. You wanted to be what Max was. And a mint winner too. Yeah. And a mint winner. Yeah. And uh, first time I beat Max in a Moran race, 
In fact, I know the game was even ran racing, which is Southern California, or Southern Nevada Desert Racers, or not Desert Racers. I came, there was another association in Vegas, and it was one of their races out SNDR by. SNDR or SNDA or something? I think it was SNDR, it could have been. Yeah. But it was up at, by, uh, over by Pahrump area and stuff, and I hear scrambles mm. over there. And mm. I meet Max for the first time. I was like <laughs> 17 years old and stuff, and that was a magical moment for me. <laughs> I'm following in my hero's footsteps, so pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But you know, <clears throat> I had stayed with the motorcycling for for many, many years and stuff, and then we had an opportunity to go into the off-road car world and stuff, and uh, you know, chase that chase that dream a little bit as well, and uh, had a little success there, cars, trucks, you know, drove trophy trucks, got to do all that good stuff, and back to motorcycling as an age bracket racer and. And won a few Baja 1000s in 40 and 50 class. So hmm. had a pretty um, few magical years there, riding with some good guys. Chris Haynes was one of them, and uh, having a great time. Even got to, as I got older, got to team up with Scott again a few times too, and that was pretty, pretty magical as well. So Very cool. Had a good time racing. Did you, I think I heard a story, something about you Ironman in Baja. Uh, first one to win it overall or something as an Ironman? Is that, is that, I got that right? Yeah, I get a little emotional about this one, but probably one of my magical moments in my career <clears throat> was winning the Baja 500 overall solo and beating Scott and, and Brent. You know, and we had won every, we had won every score event. We'd set a record for consecutive score wins at that point at four or five races overall in a row. Uh, at so, that point. So, so Scott, we were, we were the we were not bad. At that what point. were you guys thinking when Jack won that? Well, that as it played out during the course of the day, I kept thinking he's going to slow down. He can't keep going like this because I went down into the desert and it was hot. Oh, really hot. And we were in contact. We got separated. Jack started up front, got out of the dust a little bit quicker. We got held up a little bit, but we weren't that far behind. We were only back 10 or 12 minutes over you know on corrected time and i kept thinking well you, as there's no way we'll there's catch no him, way yeah. as it gets closer to the end we'll wear him down we'll get him at the end and it didn't happen hmm. we yeah. had no problems that day we had a clean ride and he just was the man he was your problem he was the problem <laughs> well he was a problem for me a lot but more than just that race but um, you know both, both teams had a pretty flawless race that day and stuff but um, I attacked a little differently than what they expected me to do. I attacked early and made sure I set the pace real early and stuff and got yeah. out in front. And then whenever I knew I was tired and our bikes were worn down and tires were bald and whatever, and I, so I backed off and slowed down because I knew that was the smartest thing to do. And I was out in front enough by that time to where nobody was going to catch me. So yeah. Pretty magical yeah. moment. That's over 40-some years ago, and nobody's done it since. So only one to have done it, and nobody else has even tried it that I know of. Hmm. That was pretty. Uh, wow. Well, heck, amazing. they do three and four and five man team. You know, shit. That's typical to say. Back then, it was two man teams. Huh? Yeah. And it was kind of one of those deals where it was kind of a special thing to even do it on my own because I rode for Team Husky and my partner was Larry Rossner, who's one of the top off road guys ever to been on a motorcycle. Yeah. So, but he had got his hurt. He had hurt his knee the year before, and they called in a secondary rider for me to ride for the year before in '78. And we ended up finishing second. I was doing real well. We'd get out in front, and my teammate, who was a top rider, AC Back, and 
you know, if I hadn't been out in pre-run or done anything preparation, hadn't been riding in a while, you know, would lose enough ground. I just finally couldn't make it up enough. You know, I was chasing Scott and Brent, and they were, you know, riding at their peak at the time also. So the next year when Larry Herders needed the same thing, and they told me they were going to ride and bring in a secondary guy, I said, ain't happening. I'm doing it myself. <laughs> and I caught more shit from the team, you know, team managers, Dean Goldsmith and uh, Niles Ussery and those guys. I mean, I caught hell for several days trying to, you know, make it happen. Thanks, God, you're the one that told me that Larry was hurt and wasn't coming down. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I did all the pre-running, all the work, all the hard work to make it happen. That's cool. Well, that's what it takes down there in Baja is, you know, going down, pre-running, doing your homework. I mean, things, even there, even down there, things have changed a little bit, you know, with the trackers and things that they're running now with the VCPs and, and all that. But, um you look at the you know how dominant the honda team was with johnny campbell and those guys and it came down to having preparation and you know doing your homework in that area so i mean how was it back then as a, compared to now i mean how much time did you well, guys were, how much time did you guys spend down there there were back then there were three or four or five really strong teams always you had the husky team you had yamaha in it you had honda in it there were, and back then the classes, there were a lot more <coughs> racers, top racers. Now it's down to literally today, it's down to one team. Hmm. All they have to do is go and ride and finish and they're gonna win. Uh, and it's slowly all through the nineties, it evolved down and down and down to where there was the Kawasaki team for a while there. And then the Honda, they kind of pulled out and then Johnny came over and took over. He had maybe two other teams that were kind of good that they had to beat. But it's, in my opinion, it's just slowly whittled its way down to where it was near the depth of field that we had back in the 70s and 80s. And, and what do you think attributes to that? I mean, is it team support? Is it factory, lack of riders? What? Factory support, Yeah. lack of factory involvement, different time, different era. Everybody had to win Baja to have that on their resume back then. It was a different world. It was two-man teams. So instead of diluting it with five guys on a bike or four guys on one bike, you, that four bikes, you just eliminated a team. Because now there's four guys on a bike and they're riding short little sections. We rode half the race. Mm -hmm. You know, we, yeah. we did the Baja 1000. I rode 450 miles at night to La Paz. And now they're breaking that up into 100 here and 50 there and 200 here. It's not anything like it is now. Not the same, yeah. It's not the same. And in my opinion, it's just, uh, I'm glad we did it when we did it. I was a part of it when it, I really believe the glory years were the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, into the 90s. Not to take anything away from Johnny because Johnny is absolutely, he's a cut from that old school cloth. He's the guy, he got it from Bruce. Well, and Bruce, we had to race against Bruce. You know, we were racing against Bruce and LR and, and Bob Ballantyne and Al Baker and Tom Kelly. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on. And Ashcraft and Smith. Ashcraft and Smith. And I mean, I could just go on and on and yeah. off. The guys that we were all racing to try to win these races, LR, you know, now name me, <laughs> name me a name right now that's the top. You can't, you know, you can't. Yeah. it's. It's different. And you guys are all legends. I mean, those are some big names that yeah. and all have huge accomplishments. Right. And, and they were definitely competing yeah. against the cream of the crop. You know, it was definitely pretty <coughs> racist in those days. And I know that 
through the years, like Scott was saying, that you know how it got diluted down somewhat. But with, through Johnny Campbell's era and stuff, I was writing, you know, on teams that had, you know, 40, you know, 40 plus age bracket and stuff, and we would still be in the top three, four, five overall. And so that would tell you how much diluted it down it was when you got old guys like me that can <laughs> keep up with those guys. Right. Yeah. Or at least semi keep up with them. Yeah. I mean, you guys were in the over 50 class of getting third overall at the Baja 1000. I mean, you know, that, you know back in that, back in. That wouldn't have happened, that wouldn't back, happened in, back, in, back yeah. then, no. Yeah. Very good. No, there was just too many strong teams. There was too many, too much factory involvement. It was a different era. Has there been over the years, because you guys are brother in laws. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but has there been a lot of competition between you? The, the two of you, or have you guys kind of teamed up and attacked everybody else? No, they're both they're, they're in the, <laughs> Here we go. They're in the early years and stuff. So, uh, we were uh, serious, serious rivals. Yeah. You know, and, and fortunately, I had the upper hand for the most of that time. Definitely not all of it, but for the most of that time, and, and I had a lot of success, and would definitely make Scott a little pissed off. And <laughs> how he ended up marrying my sister was kind of hard to imagine because of how much he hated me for so long. Yeah. But, uh, Can you imagine those family Thanksgiving dinners? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we didn't do Thanksgiving dinners together. Uh, probably why. <laughs> Maybe we did. But through the, the, through the years and stuff, with all the success both of us had had and stuff, definitely learned to respect each other so much, you know, that it was, you know, it was easy when we finally come to realize that our serious racing days are behind us and stuff, and uh, family's a lot more important. But that, that's a good point in itself, is... I've learned that after retiring from racing. The guys that were our top competitors that we absolutely hated and, and raced against, now we're all best friends. Right. And I think the motorcycle community is a, is one big family. You know, guys that I had my biggest competition, you know, Randy Hawkins and Steve Hatch. Steve Hatch was my brother-in-law. And, you know, it's when racing's over, it's like it, the, the time's turn. The respect comes out. The respect comes out, and we're all good friends, and we can look back and laugh at it. It's like these two right here. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, No, sure. I, I was serious. I mean... Obviously, there was. We both wanted the same thing. We both were competing for the same glory, the same sponsors, the same money, all of that stuff. You know, there's a lot of friction there and a lot of rivalry. But in hindsight, for me, it, I I couldn't have had a better rival to make me better than Jack. If without Jack, I wouldn't have done half the stuff that I did because that was the standard I had to rise to to win in head-to-head -head competition. And we had some great races together. Certain types of races, he'd dominate over me, and other kinds of races, I'd have the upper hand over him. But the the without it, I wouldn't have had the career that I had. You, in hindsight, you look back and you thank God for those right. small blessings and miracles because it definitely changed my life. Without him, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I know that for sure. You know, something magical I just thought about and remembered and stuff was, and it kind of involves Casey folks, but on off weekends, Casey would go on rides, you know, go on serious rides. You might ride from over in Henderson Town towards Searchlight or, you know, Nipton or stuff like that. Well, Scott was always there too, so we rode together on off weekends just as friends and stuff. Even though we were pretty, really serious rivals, we still rode together and, you know, learned from each other and stuff on off weekends and stuff. And that's kind of camaraderie that, that desert type racing and motorcycle themselves, you know, really pull together with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't see James Stewart and uh, Ricky Carmichael riding together on the off week. And riding, riding together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no. think that happened. But uh, no. did you guys ever 
compete on the same team ever? Did you guys ever? We did work? a few. Well, does Bob five hundred and seventy six? The first Las Vegas four hundred we rode together as a team. We should have won that race. We were the fastest team there that day, but we kept running out of gas every lap and had to push it for a mile or two into the pits. And the other team with LR and Bob Rutten got ahead of us, but we we should have won that event. And then later on, we did the Vegas the the three hundred together and won the Vet Class there. And we did the first uh, Vegas Torino and won the Vet Class there. Uh, we did a few races, you know, on the 300 KTM when I was yeah. working for KTM. Back in back in training. those days, did you guys so talking about running out of gas on the <clears throat> on those older bikes? They didn't have like a desert tank that you could slap on it. What did you guys do to? Oh, they did. They had, they did. We, did they? Had, yeah, Vesco made it, what they called skinny fat tanks that we put on the Huskies and stuff when we needed to. And they just okay. miscalculated how hard we were riding the thing and the distance because the other teams that were riding on the same setup made it. Mm. We just were riding that much harder. On the and throttle. it was just I tell you something that's interesting too too. Even though we were both both riding for the factory husky team and they they set up all the pits and everything, still pre running because we weren't sure exactly how the mileage was, I would stash gas out on the trail different places. So I know if I had started getting low on fuel, <laughs> I knew a place I could get you know, gather up some more fuel. Um, mm. The days have definitely changed. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And also, Scott, I have to argue a, bit, a little bit with you about the first <laughs> Vegas Torino, because the first Vegas Torino you're talking about is the first one Casey well, put on. The first one Casey put on, yeah, that's correct. Because the very first Vegas Torino, I went overall in the car. But that was called the Frontier 500, though, wasn't it? Still the Vegas Torino. Well, I know, but it was called the Frontier 500. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That was an 84. I think... Uh, Smith and Ashcraft 80, went it on the bike. 82 and 83 of them. Okay. We get a hot rod driving by. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Jack, tell us, you're in the AMA Hall of Fame also? Correct. And then you just got inducted into one this year, the uh, Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame? Correct. And am I missing any others? No, that's about it. Well, right. other than the Moran one, which is... I'm and the Moran, yeah. Moran legend on the Moran legend list so that's cool I actually got nominated on that a few years ago too I'm on that list with oh. you guys oh cool so it's kind of cool yeah. uh, uh why me I don't know but anyway <laughs> very humble um well do you have a Casey story a funny Casey story well probably one is kind of what I brought up earlier that we were uh go riding with Casey and stuff and I remember one time we were down by Searchlight and kind of working our way back toward uh, Boulder City area and stuff we come over the side of a hill and stuff and there's kind of a little encampment down below it and all of a sudden there started being 22 bullets start flying at us and stuff <laughs> and Casey and Scott and I are all ducked in tucked into the side of the hill till jumped we, off our bikes until we finally figured out that, I don't know what Casey said or what he did and stuff but he was yelling something at these guys and they calmed down and quit shooting at us anyway wow <laughs> That's, that was excitement for sure yeah wow yeah. I remember on one of those rides we stopped and we looked down an old mine shaft and down there in the bottom of the mine shaft on a big rock down there was a giant rattlesnake I crawled up that. just like you like you would see in a movie crawled up on this thing so Casey always packing heat decided well He's going to kill it. Got to kill it. And it's not going to hurt you. It's 50 feet down in the shaft. It isn't going to jump up 50 feet, <laughs> well, he thought. Anyway, so he gets out his gun and he shoots it. Well, as soon as he shoots it, little 
unbeknownst to him, there was a giant pack rat living down there in the thing too. And he came flying up the chute <laughs> and hit him. And he thought it was the Scared snake. The crap out of him. <laughs> and he jumped backwards and barrel rolled down the tailings about 60 feet to the bottom of the hill. And he was nesting himself off and he was freaking out. What the hell was that? He was going crazy. And I go, Casey, it was just a mouse. It was just a little field mouse. I saw it. I had a good vision of it, but it was funny as oh, hell. Man. Oh, that's good. We're uh, getting quite quite a bit of Casey stories. So, yeah. well, we're in Kellyanne. Yeah, yeah. And we just had the fourth annual Casey Folks yeah. race this last Saturday, so which yeah. was a big success. So we got Rodney Smith here too, <clears throat> yep. uh, who's come here and help us with the trail ride. Maybe uh, you have a few questions for Rodney. Yeah, Rodney, I I've, I read a little bit about you, and I've heard of heard your name most definitely. But tell us who you are for our listeners and and. To yep. me, I, I'm interested. So. I'm Rodney Smith. I actually grew up in a motorcycle family. My mother, my father, I had an older brother. That uh, We all grew up trail riding and stuff. I um, I guess I basically was introduced to motorcycles when I was three years old, riding on the front of my mom and my dad, and got my first motorcycle and started riding on my own when I was five. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a unique story is I had kind of an off-road background up until I was about 13, 14. My dad rode, nat- you know, not nationals, but my dad rode enduros for District 36 up in Northern California. My brother was actually real good, was... Uh, I guess he got number three in District 36 in National Enduros up in District or in District 36. But um, about age 13, I kind of got into motocross and took a different route at that time. So I ended up um, racing local motocross for a couple years, got my pro license before I got out of high school, um, rode as a um, support rider for Yamaha in, in when I was 18. And this was all in California? Well, for when I rode the Nationals, it was all over the United States when I got out of high school. Okay. So the year, I guess my junior year of high school, I uh, rode four nationals and ended up with number 69. I got out of high school when I was 18 and rode the national circuit, rode it for Yamaha support rider for two years and got an opportunity to go to Brazil. So I went down there and lived uh, for the next three years down there, uh, won five Brazilian national motocross championships. Um, when the GPs would come down from Europe down to South America, I had a lot of success in them. I uh, finished third in 125 class in 86. Uh, in 87, I rode the 250 class against Eric Gabors and John Vandenberg and all of them, and I got second in Brazil. I won the first moto, crashed in the first turn of the second moto, and came back to third. Mm, and wow. then uh, they all kept saying it was just a fluke. I knew the track and all this. So my boss looked at me and says, you ever been to Argentina? Because that's where the GP circuit was headed the next week. And I said, no, I've never been there. He says, well, we're going now. <laughs> so on Monday, we were going. On Tuesday, we weren't going because I couldn't get my bike into the country because of you know different uh, documentations and stuff. Then Wednesday we were going again, Thursday we weren't, and then all of a sudden, Friday we were going, they flew my bike to the border of Argentina, rented a Combi, which is a Volkswagen bus, and my mechanic and another guy drove it to Argentina, uh, Cordoba. So me and my boss flew in there, got there, and uh, it was a, actually this is a really good story, and actually I just learned more about it this year. But um, we got to Argentina, Buenos Aires, and then the next day got up and went to Cordoba where the GP was, and my bike never showed up. So first practice goes out, free practice. Second free practice goes out, and it was the final round of the GP circuit. So Eric Gabors was leading the championship. Uh, Vandenberg was in second. So he had brought down two factory works Hondas. So before the third and final practice, which you have to make to be able to race the GP, it's the official time practice, Steve Whitlock, you probably know Steve, came over to me. He was the uh, team manager for HRC and says, Rodney, we know your bike's not here. We're going to offer you to ride Eric Gabors' 
backup bike because oh. this is the last mm. race. We brought it down for these two races as a backup bike. He's not going to need it. So the only thing we ask of you is don't get involved. If I'm leading, and no problem. I could win. If Vandenberg was leading and I was second, Gabor's was behind me, I had to let Gabor's go to go chase Vandenberg. Mm. But as long as I was leading, he says you can win the race. doesn't matter. Just don't get in between those two. So right before they put my bars on it, ran it through tech, 20 minutes before official time practice, this combi comes in down pit row, and they had my bike, it was my mechanic, and they unloaded it, and Whitlock came back over and goes, hey, I know your bike just showed up, you're still offered to ride our, our bike if you'd like, and I remember I was so nervous to ride their factory Honda. I mean, they told me the clutch lever alone was $300. <laughs> and I unloaded my stock CR 1987 250, and said, you know what, I think I'd rather ride my own bike. Went out in time practice, hadn't even been on the track yet, said third, third fastest time. <laughs> The FIM came to me and says, hey, look, we know you didn't have your bike. Everybody's agreed to let you have another practice session to yourself. Everybody else went back to the hotels. It doesn't count for anything like that, but we're going to give you another 30 minutes on the track to dial in your bike. So I went out there, and unofficially, I did set the fastest time. But the next day, I ended up winning both motos by 13 seconds. Wow. Oh, so shit. Uh, wow. I and so, so I just actually did a podcast for Brazil here about a month ago. And it was with the, my boss from that was in Brazil that, that did all this and arranged for us to go down there. And he had told me a story I hadn't heard before. And I guess in Brazil, when I won the first moto, Steve Whitlock came over to him and was telling him, you got to change. You cannot tell people that's a stock Honda because it was literally a stock Honda with an FMF exhaust. <laughs> and he goes, you got to you got to tell people that's a factory bike. You got to tell people it's, you know, there's no way. And I didn't know any of this till just a month ago. <laughs> and because he says, my HRC program will be out the door. He goes, when when HRC finds out that you guys beat me on a stock production Honda that you bought in a shop in Miami, he goes, I will not have a budget for next year. <laughs> and, and I had never heard that, never even thought about that. Oh, my god! But then when I go down to Argentina and beat him again on a stock Honda that you can buy at the local Honda shop in Miami, which is where we bought him and shipped him to South America, he, and he goes, dude, my HRC budget will be gone. He wow. really he really wanted you to ride that HRC bike. Well, he didn't want just, me beating him on a production bike because yeah. it didn't make them look good. <laughs> yeah. This was yeah. 250s? And, and I just found this, this wait, out. This was 250s? 250, the elite <laughs> okay. class at the time, yeah. And what year bike was that? That was a 1987 Honda. Yeah, one of the best 250s I think I ever read. It was, it was a good bike. I've heard that a couple times. So after that, I earned a ride to go to Europe and race GPs in 88 and finish third on a Suzuki and um, pretty much raced Suzuki's the rest of my life. Hmm. Yeah, I came back home, which is what a lot of people don't understand. I came back home in 91, burned out of motocross, became a job, and I just wasn't big and living in Europe. And uh, came back home and started riding a motorcycle for fun in 92. And what I call was my only desert race I've ever done because, listen, you got, I never, being from Northern California, I never got a chance to do much desert. The only claim to fame when people go, have you ever done any desert, I'd say, uh, uh, Virginia City Grand Prix, yeah. which yeah. isn't really a... How many times you win Virginia City, Jack? Just twice. Twice? Yeah, so it was 92, and Larry Rosser, I think, had won it like 10 years in a row or something. Uh -huh. And I went up there on a stock Suzuki, and nobody knew who I was. They didn't know me because they didn't follow motocross. I was coming back over from Europe, and, and uh, I went up there and won the race. I beat Rossler. And then I went on and rode a couple of qualifiers in Oregon. I rode one in Washington, and I rode Minden, and I rode Idaho, and won all four of those. So they put me on the six-day team for Australia that year. And wow. I went over there and battled with Giovanni Sala for the overall. Cool. And then from that point on, I had like about another 15-year career in off-road, where I won 13 more AMA championships and probably the, some of the most prestigious ones are the five GNCC championships, which to this day is I think I'm the only West Coast guy of the 
Mississippi to go back there and win and the championship. We just learned today that he was 40 years old when he won his final one, which I just blows me away. Yeah, wow. it was just a, it was yeah. a special one. You know, I don't know that anybody will ever win it again at 40, especially with the guy, Caleb's and these guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was um, it was just different. Wow. Very impressed. <laughs> so let me ask yeah, you, Rodney, what do you think about Caliani? Now that you've, you've ridden all around the world, now you can check off the box. So, you've ridden in Caliani. My God. This yeah, is so last... now, back up a couple of years, I've actually been working for Beta. I'm the uh, race team manager for Beta. And I actually came out here and stayed in Panaka and uh, and went to a hair and hound race here. So I've actually been to about three or four hair and hound races now. Uh, okay. okay. There was a side of me after we were riding the other day. I mean, I've, I think you kind of remember me asking a few questions. Yeah. I was thinking about because Saturday night I got to head over towards Fernley where they're having a hare and hound this weekend, mm-hmm. and I got to go over there for the team. There was a back of me thinking that I have a spare set of tires and stuff in my van. I may be yeah. getting over there and racing because I haven't officially ever ridden a hare and hound. Uh, and uh, so I was asking Scott a few questions this weekend while we were out. Well, you riding. should always do the it. The best one's the one up here. <laughs> the best hare and hound they put on is hell up here, I think. Yeah, and I'll probably be tired after riding here and driving over there late at night, and it'll be dusty. But you're still young. I do want to get out there and race a hare and hound just to say I've done it, like these guys. You know, check some off your list and and enjoy it. But uh, yeah, I've had the last three years being the team manager for Beta and enjoy it. So looking forward to getting to know these trails around here a little bit more. It's awesome. Yeah, some awesome trails around here, and and. So are you in a Hall of Fame as well? I, I believe I read that somewhere too. Yes, I got inducted in uh, 2015. In, to the AMA? AMA Hall of Fame. I was inducted in the Legends Hall of Fame for motocross, supercross, uh, like 2014 maybe. Okay. I think it was before the AMA. Wow. Really impressive. So My butterflies are still going. <laughs> I actually uh, stood, yeah. up, stood up with Rodney when he was inducted. And Jack, actually. I got to go up and present them their rings when... Uh, hmm. Because they try to find a former, a Hall of Famer that, from a similar discipline. back signal or discipline. And I'm always at the Hall of Fame awards somewhere because I'm on the board of directors of the Hall of Fame Museum. And they, I stood up for Jack and I stood up for Rodney when he got inducted. And I don't know, you know, about you guys, but for me, I remember it was in conjunction with the Himes um, Motorcycle Show in Florida. Yep. And uh, the next day, they interviewed us. They had us doing autographs and stuff, and they were interviewing all of us and. One of the uh, one of the reporters asked me, so what's it feel like, you know, being inducted into the Hall of Fame? And I just remember thinking about it for a minute. And it, it, I explained it to him. I go, you know, it's like winning your biggest championship without ever knowing you entered it. Hmm. Because I don't think ever as a kid or growing up, you know, I always wanted to win championships. I always wanted to be the best. I wanted to win races. You want to win championships. But there was never one time that I ever go, God, I hope I make the Hall of Fame someday. You just, hmm. It's just something that you don't even think about. And then when you get the call saying you're getting inducted into it, and then after you do and see how, I mean, it's prestigious, it was like, wow, I just won my biggest championship, and I never even knew I was entered. Wow. You know, it was kind of real special. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty deep. I mean, was it like that for you guys? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not something you go after when you're a kid. Yeah. You want to win championships. You want to be the best there is. But I never once thought about, God, I hope I'm in the Hall of Fame someday. You don't think no, that. No, when you go to the Hall of Fame Museum and you start down that thing, and the first person you see is Soshiro Honda, and then you see Evil Knievel. And then you see Kenny Roberts. Yes, yeah, and they're all... And then you see Ricky Carmichael. And then you go into the motocross stuff and you see all that. And you see all of these people that did all of the... The, the Harley and Davidson. that started Harley Davidson. You see all these people's names in there. And then you walk around through the whole building and you get over in the 
the off-road side, you see Malcolm Smith and Dick Burleson, and you look, and there's my fucking motorcycle right there. <laughs> How'd that get in so, here? And the same thing for I'm me, getting goosebumps. You, Scott, you know, the movie <laughs> On Any Sunday, that was a big change in my life. I mean, prior to that, my, motor, my family was a motorcycle family, and we were kind of looked at as Hell's Angels. So mm-hmm. in elementary school and stuff like that, when I meet, you know, have friends, they, you know, you didn't tell them that we rode motorcycles because automatically you were a Hell's Angel. You were right. associated with that. And it wasn't until the movie On Any Sunday came out that the real society saw what motorcycling really is. It's it's not about racing so much. It's about families going out into the desert, into the mountains, you know, riding a motorcycle for fun. It's it's that on any Sunday. It just it is like we're going to do this weekend. Right. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is right. this is better than any race. I mean, yeah, this is right. all of us racers getting together, not racing, but talking about it and going out and having fun. Yeah, when you first start out, you're a trail rider, then you become a racer, and you live for the day. You can become a trail rider again. Yeah, but. But I don't think society back in the 70s realized how many families and what motorcycling can bring a family close together. Well, and that's what's missing now, and that's why we have the problems that we have now is because we've lost sight of the fact that motorcycling is that conduit. And now we're trading a real experience for a virtual experience, and we're telling our children that it's fine just to tweet your way or post your way to a a real life experience rather than getting out and really risking and doing something and pushing right. yourself and challenging yourself. And so um, we've created a, a world that the values are upside down. It's changing like we were talking earlier. You know, I was talking about the younger, the writers around today have to get on social media and talk about themselves. <laughs> and in our careers, we didn't talk about ourselves. We were, if you did, you were stuck up. We let our racing, we let the magazines do the talking, you know. The, right. And that did all. But today, I don't, you know, even all the top writers, sponsors are looking for how many people follow them and tweets. And so when they go out for a, a fun ride, when they get back, the first thing they do is got to tweet to all their, all their followers, you know. Just got done doing a 30-mile ride with, you know, whatever, whatever. They got to talk about themselves. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I just remember sitting back one day, and I, you know, I remember going through a bunch of magazines and stuff. I was on covers, and and I'm just thinking to myself, watching these young kids just talk to the, talk about themselves. But they have to. That's what today's era, like you know, you said, mm-hmm. it's a virtual world. And there's it's not much media. magazines. And magazines aren't out there anymore. It's all right? online, yeah. And right. Your your social media follows is as important as your results. It's it, crazy. It is. Yeah. I mean, even it's, my boss at Beta, you know, he goes on and looks at the writers to see how many followers they have, to see how popular they are. So it's become, you do need to get out there and, and talk about yourself. yourself. And that, yeah. yeah. Which is the opposite of what we had to do. Yeah, yeah it's it's, it's definitely changed. The the sport as a whole has evolved. It's really cool from our standpoint to be able to capture, you know, the history of where you guys come from and how how many championships, AMA and and off road championships between the three of you? Any idea? Okay. AMA, I got thirteen. Well, I've I've got three AMA championships, but I mean, I was we did off road. So Jack, how you've got Tom. You got four one thousands overalls. The four overall one thousands. I got a total of fourteen all one thousand wins. In ball five hundred, I think there's only five, three or four or five. Hmm. Yeah, I've got two overalls at the thousand, uh, four overalls at the five hundred. Uh, Sam Mexicali three hundred overalls, two Parker four hundred overalls. Best in the Las Vegas four hundred, Las Vegas four hundreds, four overalls at the Las Vegas four hundred. So uh, the consensus. Jack is got two mid four hundred overall wins. I mean, too many to count. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, cool. the history here is you know, the three unreal. of us that are three different generations, and we're out there still riding together. You know, that's yeah. pretty cool. Super um, cool. 
because I'm one of the ones that I think I grew up in a great era of our sport of being able to see where motocross came from, you know, following the European circuits. And I used to be at the, you know, a little flag kid when the um, Trans Ams were here and stuff. And but today's <clears throat> kids don't see the evolve. They don't even know our, the history of our sport. You know, it's really sad that we were just talking about this today. You know, baseball kids and stuff in school, they know who Babe Ruth was. They know their heroes. They know they follow the sport, right? They, mm-hmm. But you can ask any of these motocrossers today who Steve Lampson was or who uh, Daryl Schultz or who Malcolm Smith is, and they don't know. They don't know their, their right. own history of their own sport. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. Right. I wish yeah. they'd do a little bit more, you know, background and research of their own sport and have a little bit more respect for the, you know. And that's why we're coming into this. We, we didn't come into it at first thinking that. But that's what it's kind of involved, and that's kind of the kids. And it's it's we're we're documenting history. Right. I mean, I'm learning stuff tonight that I didn't know about. Oh, me too. And <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah it's cool. great. So I love it, and we respect everybody that brought the you know that paved the way. You know. And, right. Yep. Well, we appreciate you guys coming and sitting in in my yard. It's kind of cool. Um, I know we got to take a break here for a second. Why don't we take a quick break, come back, and we'll talk about the Nevada 200 and why you're here this weekend, if that's all right with you guys. Okay, we can do that. All right, we'll take a little break. Hey, guys, you got a dog? Go over to Throw Me a Bone at theantlerchew.com and check out their offering of fresh antler chews. Your dogs will love them. They're all natural and good, good for your dog's health. Give that pup something to do. Let them chew on an antler, and uh, they'll love you. So go over to Throw Me a Bone at theantlerchew.com. Enter the promo code OFFROAD. The first five people to order will get a 5% discount and a $10 Rocky Mountain ATV gift card. So hurry quick. Promo won't last. Go check them out. Theantlerchew.com. All right, we're back with Scott, Jack, and Rodney. And the reason they're here, like we said before, they're here for the Nevada 200 trail ride. So on that note, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about that, maybe the history, what's going on this weekend, uh, the future. What do you got? (laughs) Well, it's the 36th anniversary of the Nevada 200, an event that Casey and I started in 1985. It was mainly established as a, a, you know, since I'd moved to California, we didn't get to ride as much together, and I missed riding with Casey, and I missed the times we spared we shared on the trail so we picked a date that we had to go ride and we invited some friends that way we couldn't back out of it we had to be there and that was here in Caliani and we loved it up here we started here I think the first year we had like 20 or 25 guys uh, you know we all got together for dinner at the Naughty Pine afterwards or the VFW actually fixed us to dinner that's when we started the first meal there and the next year a bunch of guys heard about it we had 40 guys by 87 we had over 50 guys and the BLM caught us and said, hey, you, you're over 50 and you need to have a permit if you want to keep doing this or you're going to be fined. So from 88 on, we started applying for a permit. And then it just grew from there. Uh, it peaked out at around 200 entries in the mid-2000s, really almost too many guys. And we've gotten it back to a, a really good manageable number. It's around 130 to 140 guys hmm. that are here for the event. Uh, it's a labor of love. We've developed, developed thousands of miles of trail around here. A ton of the stuff that the uh, that the clubs are using and everything are trails that we got put into the system. Um, we, uh, you know, Jack came on board here about six or seven years ago. How, is it that long, Something Jack? Something like that, yeah. 
and has been helping out. And honestly, without him, it would be impossible to keep going. When Casey passed away um, in 2017, Daryl came in to fill his position. So Daryl and I co-promoted under Track On and Harden Off Road. But uh, it's something that's very near and dear to our heart. And we believe in the local community here. We've always tried to do good things for it. We've, mm-hmm. do- we've raised, we've donated tens of thousands of dollars to the town through it uh, over the years. Uh, Dick's uh, Rose Park, all of the uh, bathroom facilities in Rose Park were built with our money. Mm. Um, we've done a lot of other donations to the Senior Citizen Center, to the Volunteer Fire Department. All right, we're back. Sorry about that. So we were talking with Scott about the 200 and how they've been helping the town so much um yeah just trying to get back to the local community and you know people love riding up here we've you know we've done a lot of great publicity through the magazine coverage that we've gotten out of the event trying to put Caliente on the landmark as a destination hopefully people will come back and ride here and bring their money here and spend it in the town long after we're gone and we encourage people to come back up here and ride you know we don't own this desert we just are very fond of it uh you know we spent a lot of time studying the history of Caliani. Uh, few people know more about the history than i do uh, we uh, got hooked up with a lot of people early in the days mary ellen from the midway motel who wrote the definitive book on clover valley the mysterious mm-hmm. valley mm-hmm. Um, uh, she did, helped us with a lot of the research early things from the hangman's tree to the all the history of etna cave and 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 even from Eric here, you know, learning about some of the local Indian stuff and everything that we're trying to all pick up on because mm-hmm. we we really try to part of the the trail ride is to share the the history and the knowledge right. of all the pioneers and things that have gone on here. So uh, that's what it's about. Uh, uh, Jack, you want to say a few words about it? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoy the trails and stuff riding up here and stuff having raced here you know for years and years and stuff what you know riding the Caliente Grand Prix you get to learn the area quite a bit and enjoy it and and uh, my donation to the trail ride is that I like to explore and find new stuff and find some of the old stuff that we did in the old days as well you know let everybody see some of the adventurous trails and hear some of the stories Casey and Daryl are wonderful at telling the stories about the Caliente and stuff when they get guys out on the trail you know and I get Scott out on the trails and looking at different things, and I can't get him lost. You know, no matter what I do, he always knows where the heck he's at. So it's pretty funny. But uh, I just enjoy, you know, doing stuff, marking trails, laying out stuff that I know the guys will really enjoy. You know, you there's one trail Scott named after me. It's called Hochi Jack. I looked for about two years, try and figure it out and find it and stuff. But I had to hand build a section of it in order to make sure we could get through and make it passable. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's that's really the kind of stuff that's... We were just talking about Hoochie Jack Trail the other day, and I'm like, I wonder how they named that. Mm-hmm. It didn't even dawn on me, Jack, so... Well, Ho Chi Minh, we had Ho Chi Minh for the long time that comes out by the Girls Center, and it just seemed fitting that we had a Ho Chi Jack Trail, too, so... Uh. It's funny, after I found it and showed it to Scott and stuff, Scott said he'd been looking for that trail for about five years and never could find it, and I get up there and stumble across it, no problem. But. Yeah, and it's a load... Rodney wrote it down yesterday. What do you think of Hochi Jack? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. It's uh, definitely got some technical situ- or sections and stuff in it. It's definitely uh, it's rideable, but it's still challengeable. Yeah, and so I think, it I think makes the, you work. Yeah. This is going to be my first Caliente 
200 and I'm looking forward as a, a participant in it. You know, I came up to help these guys do what I can because my job allows me to be a little bit relaxed on what I do being the team manager for beta. So I had a little bit of open time to so come up here and try to help them out with uh, putting out arrows and just see what I could do to help them. And, uh, but no, I'm looking forward as uh, participating in this 200. Again, like the movie on any Sunday, I got a lot of good friends coming up here to ride and, and uh, looking forward to riding with them. And it's probably going to be an annual thing to where I get to come, like he said, with him and Casey, where we just all yeah. meet here every year and get to ride together as friends. Yeah, Super cool. Yeah, growing up here in Caliente, I can attest to the trails that these guys have put in. Um, some of the some of the best single track you can find anywhere. Yeah, I think I that's mean, something it's... I need to add in there because being a West Coast guy from California, actually, I was always, like I, we said earlier in my, in my talking, I never did hare and hounds or any kind of desert stuff. But I think that's kind of what I was expecting when I came here was more of a wide open, high speed desert type riding. And it's not that at all. There's some good trails out there. It's real challenging. It's uh, It's got a good variety of stuff. Um, so yeah, I encourage anybody that wants to come out and ride single track, a little bit of everything. It's an awesome ride. I know I helped you guys a couple years ago, Ashley and I, we swept for yeah. you and just the experience to be here was like no other. It, it's one of my fondest memories. And I know we missed you last year. We had a, another race somewhere else. Ashley was chasing yeah, points, points. Yeah. and, but it, it's one of my biggest I, one of my fondest memories of in my racing or being on a dirt bike is working with you guys and being at the Nevada 200. I mean, sitting down with Jack before everybody got here for dinner. I mean, Ashley had dinner with you and hear some of your stories and Ashley talks about it all the time. She was telling Eric today at dinner something about how you broke a couple arms and, and still raced and overalled something. Or if I got the story right, I don't know. And she goes, well, didn't it hurt? And you're like, I don't feel pain. <laughs> I don't have time for that. Yeah. Actually, I think what she's talking about is that when I won the Bob 500 solo, I had a broken wrist. wrist yeah. 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 Uh, he went with a broken wrist for many years. It never was never healed, really. <laughs> wow. Uh, mm. Crazy. Anyway, so this weekend, Nevada 200 trail ride, Caliente, Nevada. Yeah. Um, what holds into the future with the Nevada 200? <laughs> Well, I know this has been a crazy year. We had to switch crazy dates. Year. And... Yeah, I'm hoping we get back to our. We have dates for 2021, April 16th, 17th, and 18th. We put our dates in already, so we're planning on the 37th annual. But, you know, people always tell me, and this is something Casey always reminded me, people always say, oh, God, I'm going to do that someday. I'll come ride with you guys next year. You know, I'll, I'm going to come next year. I'll, You know, I'll get a group together. We'll come next year. And Casey, they always say, well, what is wrong with this year? They go, well, we'll come next year. Well, how do you know we're going to do it next year? Right. How do you know you're going to be alive next year? How do you know Casey, COVID won't hit again? Yeah, how do you know COVID won't hit? If you didn't learn anything <clears throat> this year, just how tenuous life is and how normalcy, how tenuous in this world, the day and age that we live in, the things that you take for granted, how they could be gone like that. If you didn't learn your lesson this year, there's no hope for you. And that's why I tell her that I, Casey echoes in my mind to this day, do it now do it while you can you're not guaranteed tomorrow there's no promise your health your well-being your everything i might not be here this event might not be here and you're saying you're going to do it next year you might as well say you're never going to do it right do it don't put off don't put off your dreams don't put off your there's an event you want to go do go do it don't put it off don't come up with some lame excuse oh 
I'll wait till next year. I'll be in better shape. I'll have a better bike. I'll have a better girlfriend. No, you <laughs> won't. You'll still be ugly. You'll still be fat. You'll still be slow. <laughs> and and the, but the ride will still go on. And you've got to you've got to take advantage of the, what it what it happens because someday there won't be a Nevada 200 trail ride. That's right. And that day's coming. Yeah. That day is coming. Um, there won't be 36 more. I can tell you that. Hmm. Amazing advice. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why I say on anything you want to do, motorcycle related, get out and do it now. Yeah. We're not getting any younger. Not getting any younger. I am. anyway well yeah if you guys have not been to a nevada 200 you need to it it, it's got to be on a your bucket list soon www.harden-offroad.com all the information is there that's where we have online registration all the stuff will be up for 2021 in december very cool all right well on that note I want to thank you guys for all um, sitting down with us. It, awesome. Appreciate it. And uh, have a very successful trail ride this weekend. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks. For thanks. Coming on. Awesome. All right, guys. Time of the show where we're coming at you with the tip of the show. Brought to you by Throw Me a Bone at the antler antlerchew.com. Go check those guys out. They're one of our long-standing sponsors of the show and uh they offer dog chews antler antler chews for your dogs um they're organic and they're good for your pets and your pets will love them so go check the go check that out at their website um and now for your tip of the show so this and while i was sweeping the um, ground shakers race sweeping the ground shakers and like i said it was a little bit rocky Corn dog lied to me. He said there was three rocks out there. There was more. no. I told you, James, our <laughs> vice president, moved them. Maybe he moved them all into course. Uh, anyway, there was a lot of rocks, um, but it was fun. Anyway, coming out of the creek, there was like a little rocky section, and so I, I take the corner wide, stand up, prepare to ride through it. Picked my line, and anyway, I clipped a rock, kicked me. And I just laid the bike over, tipped it over. Well, I picked the bike back up, and my clutch perch, where it wraps around your handlebar, was broken. So my whole clutch was gone, like just hanging there by the by the hydraulic line. So <clears throat> I got to figure out how to, you know, rig this thing up and get it back to the pits. So I pull out of my handy dandy pack some actually a bystander gave me some electrical tape so we electrical taped it back up rode back to the pits um anyway i got back there and i was talking to somebody and they gave me a little tip on something that they do to prevent that type of issue um and uh i'm gonna actually try this so this is me coming at you with a tip from a friend that I haven't actually tried, but I'm going to try it. And that is you take some Teflon tape and wrap just a little bit of Teflon tape underneath your perch where it mounts to the bar. And that way, from what I was told, when you tip over, that that perch will roll up um, instead of snap off. So maybe I had my perch too tight, uh, but 
anyway, it cost me about $200 to replace that because it was all part of the reservoir and everything. It's all one piece. So anyway, I'm going to try that out. Put a little Teflon under your, you know, your mounts where they hook to the bar for your clutch perch and your front brake. Try that out. All right, guys. There's your tip of the show. And we'll catch you later for the rest of the show. Thanks. And now, the sponsor of the Race State Segments, Recreation Tires. Our good buddy Nate Adams at RecTires.com has given us a promo code to pass on to you, our listeners. Go to RecTires.com and with every order you receive, 10% off. It's that simple. Just type in the promo code Desert Dirt Biker. Yes. Type in Desert Dirt Biker at checkout to receive your 10% off. Thanks, Rec Tires. And now, stay tuned for Race Date Segment. Hey guys, it's time for Race Date Segments, part of the show. Brought to you by Recreation Tires. Go check them out at RecTires.com. Alright, first up, October 9th, 10th, and 11th, the Nevada 200 Trail Ride here in Caliena, Nevada. Kind of talked about it a lot on our show tonight, so listen up for more details on that. October 11th, the SRAGP at Glen Helen Raceway in California. October 11th, National Heron Hound, Round 6, Nightingale, Nevada. October 23rd, two rounds, Round 6 and 7, will be in Blythe, California. And I don't think they've had a race in Blythe for a while, and they've reopened this track, so it's going to be kind of cool if you haven't been there. October 24th, AMRA, AMRA, the NEPG Mud Daubers National Enduro in Matthews, Indiana. I think I have that right. If I have that wrong, somebody please email me and correct me. And on that note, if you have any race dates, cross country or whatever you want us to list, throw us an email. We'll add them on our show. Moving on, October 24th, the Best in the Desert Blue Water Desert Challenge in Laughlin, Nevada. No, no, I'm sorry. Parker, Nevada. Parker, <laughs> Parker, Arizona. Hooked on phonics worked for me. I can't read my own writing. Anyways, so October 24th, Best in the Desert, Blue Water Desert Challenge, Parker, Arizona. October 20th, or October 31st and November 1st, the Moran North Tank Slappers. November 1st, the NEPG, the National Enduro Promotions Group. Round 8, the Gobbler Getter, National Enduro. November 7th, the Moran Final Desert Race in Mesquite, Nevada, brought to you by Coyotes MC. Um, let's see, November 16th through the 21st is the Baja 1000. Uh, I think that's it. We'll, we'll go for there. I'm not sure if anybody races in December, but we'll re do some research, see if there's any more dates, and we will throw them out on the next episode of the Desert Dirt Biker. All right, that was your race date segment. Again, brought to you by Recreation at RecTires.com. See you at the races. Wow, what a show, Eric. Holy cow. Yeah, man, good stuff. Really uh, feel privileged to sit down with these guys and, and talk about their history and experiences in racing and riding. 
yeah episode 23 i think we've got something going here anyways thank you thank you special thanks i'm still giddy like a little schoolgirl to scott harden jack johnson and rodney smith it was a pleasure meeting rodney a couple days ago for the first time and eric tonight for the first time and getting to sit down and actually hearing his story and his accomplish accomplishments i'd actually like to get him on the show later on as a special guest and i'm sure he's got a huge story yeah man i wish we kind of had all day to just sit and talk because those guys have stories for endless stories i'm sure you know and we were able to barely scratch the surface but right super thankful that they came on and uh yeah like scott harden says don't wait you know don't wait to live don't wait to live your dreams to do what you want to do get out and ride if you've got a race you want to do get out and do it make it happen yeah Um, you don't know if tomorrow will come tomorrow might not be there so yeah yeah good advice good good show looking forward to bumping elbows with a bunch of people this week and this weekend i'm actually live in the same place the their hub is for the nevada 200 trail ride so this place is going to be packed they're going to yeah the nevada 200 trail ride is really cool you get a lot of the industry guys that come out and you know um they come out and just get the opportunity to ride with other industry folks and and other people you know like yourselves that are just passionate about motorcycles and like i said in the show you know that Caliani really does have some of the most amazing single track and scott's laid out some awesome stuff they do it over a couple of days they do a lunch picnic um it's it's just a phenomenal event i think um there's actually a magazine or or a pub, publish it was published that scott's trail ride was one of the voted one of the best organized trail rides in the nation so super cool um great place that we call home and just a really really fun event for any any of you that haven't made it needs to go on your bucket list yeah absolutely and like i said it's one of the best memories or events that i've ever been to in my life that has to do with dirt bikes it's it it will stick out the rest of my life <laughs> so get here and it's not just going riding in trail ride they feed you, they tell stories, they give you awesome, the vendors set up their things, and their, their little easy ups and they give you deals on their, their stuff, their product. Uh, there's a, a roast basically Saturday night. Oh my God, y- y- yeah, you, you'll have tears. Uh, I don't know if they're still gonna do it, but at one time they did the why they do Easter eggs I think normally because it's in April and you all line up in the park and everybody goes and gets the Easter egg and there's prizes in them and you can win some pretty cool stuff <laughs> it, that's pretty hilarious uh, another thing I don't know I'm going to hit on it for a minute but I don't know if I'm really supposed to but during the weekend if you have a mishap or you do something funny or something stupid you're awarded and you're roasted pretty good uh saturday night after dinner and you are awarded what they call a whistle dick (laughs) it's something i don't know how it originated maybe we should have hit on that with with scott tonight but 
It was a Casey thing, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. it was a Casey thing, and but, uh, I uh, I was laughing so hard I had tears the last couple of years that I was at one, and and oh, it's all in good fun, it all in good taste, and it's just hilarious. It they, there's no there's no there's no feeling like there is when you're at this event for the weekend. It's just well put together, well organized perfect people i mean you're all family it's it's phenomenal cool anyways i'll be riding on cloud nine for the next couple of days i'm sure and probably a week after <clears throat> depending on what i get to do for them if they'll even use me coming back from my broken arm so i can't sweep for them this year uh, so i'm bummed <laughs> anyways eric you got anything before we close the show no just uh thanks for tuning in We'll uh, catch you guys next week. Make sure you get some riding in and keep it upright. Yeah, and again, thank you, Scott Harden, Jack Johnson, and Rodney Smith for sitting down with us. So uh, see you at the races. Have a good one. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Desert Dirt Biker. Make sure you tune in next time. Hello, fellow dirt bikers and friends. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, co-hosted by me, Corndog, and my good buddy, Eric. Eric and I want to thank you for joining us on our podcast journey. On the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, we talk dirt bikes. Yes, dirt bikes. We talk about our experiences, different races, organizations, race dates, bikes, gear, tips, history, and always try to bring you fun, exciting guests to tell their story. Now, grab a drink, kick your feet up, lean back, hold on, because here we go. Here's Corn Dog and Eric.